been a star of their season tonight. He showed the world what he could do. My God, a question. An extra gear for the freshman. Touchdown. And the freshman is off. Foot race. <laughs> They're looking at shoe bottoms and nothing else. Into the end zone. Touchdown. The freshman just ran it back to Philadelphia. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Future Freshman Podcast. Welcome to episode 26. Thank you for all uh, enjoying a week away. We had the uh, the fourth here, if you're in the States. Uh, happy belated July 4th. I believe both me and Nate enjoyed some time away, enjoyed some time with family. Of course, we bring on Mr. Nate Marquise at CFF Nate. He joins us. He's also another analyst there at Campus of Canton. Nate, welcome on back to the show, man. Thanks, man. Glad to be back on. Second year I've been doing this with you. I had a lot of fun with it last year, talking some uh, some Big 12 guys, a lot of OU guys specifically last year. So uh, I'm looking forward to covering uh, the, the handful of guys we're going to talk about today. You're right. And we're going to kind of keep it going. This time, instead of just Oklahoma, we're going to do the entire Big 12. We're going to try to give you all the skills positions that we can in all in one spot. Um, so before we do that, let's uh, go ahead and knock out that homework that we got going on, of course, you can go check out campusdecanton.com for any of your articles, tools, guides, and different memberships that they have as well. Just wrapped up the CFF guide, so if you can, please go pick that up. It's only $20. Or if you have an NIL membership, you already should already have that in your email. Make sure you check your junk email. Sometimes it falls in there on accident, so for those that might be missing it, just make sure you're checking all of your emails so you can get in that as well. Nate, before we move on, man, can you just give me a quick takeaway that you enjoyed about the guide this year that you had maybe last year? Was there something that you learned or something that you really liked this year when we were doing the guide? Um, dude, it's just so much information. I don't, I don't know if there's one specific uh, thing that I love uh, picking out uh, with the guide, but I mean, I think probably the thing that I liked most about it this year is that we had so many more uh, writers working on it. I mean, we had twice as many people working on it this year as we did last year. And I just love being able to get all those different voices, all those different opinions um, compiled into one place like that. I think that's really cool. Uh, there's a lot of other guides out there and and all of them are really fantastic throughout this, throughout this industry, but something about um, us having as many different people, um, you know, kind of doing their own research and giving their own opinions on it. I think, I think it's really cool. So that's, that's probably my favorite component. That's a little bit, actually a little bit different this year than maybe last year. Yeah, I really enjoyed um, when I was just kind of doing my part or whatever, just kind of glancing just and seeing how you guys were writing up certain players and things like that or the actual teams. So it was just good to kind of get a good verse of everybody's in there. So definitely go pick that up, guys. I think that's probably the most in-depth CFF guide you're going to get all year. So please go check that out. And, of course, we do have our partnership with Homefield Apparel. You can get 15% off. Of course, use the promo code CAMPUS, the number two Canton. So please go do that as well. Lots of great, great items. They're just dropping all kinds of uh, teams and are doing a lot of throwbacks. Uh, Nate, have you partaken in the Oklahoma, uh, the home field stuff, or you're just kind of keeping the ones that you had in college? Uh, what are you, what are you doing there, buddy? I placed, I did. I placed my first home field order. I've never had any home field shirts. I've got on, you, you can barely see it, but I've, I've got on an Oklahoma shirt yeah. uh, today. My favorite one that I found was actually an Oklahoma golf shirt, which had uh, Top Dog, our old logo from like our old mascot from like 15 years ago uh, oh, on right. a swing in yeah. a golf club. So that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty sweet, man. I got the uh, iconic two-lane green wave shirt so i'm pretty okay. stoked about that one and uh ordered my wife a couple shirts as well too so yeah i'm uh, i'm feeling uh, i'm feeling the home field stuff it's pretty sweet 
It is very vintage, very retro. I got some Ramsey stuff on the way, so I'll be ready for the season so I can sweat it out the entire time that the Tar Heels are playing. So that's excited. <laughs> you only you only got to sweat it out when they're on defense, though. They're, that they're is correct. Just... <laughs> play, offense to win every time. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely excited about Humphrey. So please go check that out. Like I said, 50% uh, promo code Campus2 Canton. And of course, today we're going to talk about the Big 12 skill positions, and that's where Mr. Marquise comes in. He is a Big 12 aficionado. Of course, we talked off here that this is his last year in Big 12 before he moves to the great uh, beyond there in uh, in SEC. So Nate might be in a different episode next year uh, when we have this on, but it'll be nice to talk about some Big 12 guys. And let's start off first with Mr. Avery Johnson. Of course, he's a quarterback that committed to Kansas State. He's on three consensus, 94.11, which makes him a four-star overall as well. Um, Avery Johnson's got a little bit of love. He was on the uh, on the official a few times as well. So he was a guy that the guys in the recruiting process was really big on as well. Um, he's a three-sport uh, star who's uh, probably the one of those, I'd say, athletic quarterbacks in this in cycle. Um, super athleticism. Can move out of the pocket really well, a good playmaker, so he can make additional plays as well. Um, he tested strong as an athlete. He runs a 4.4, or excuse me, 4.54 second 40 yard dash, and he jumps nearly 37 inches in the vertical. He does double as a standout. His basketball highlights are almost just as impressive as his football highlights. Um, and I would say they said his pro comparison there on, on three is Pat White of the Miami Dolphins of 20, 2009. I don't even think I was playing NC football at all in 20, 2009. I don't know, Nate, if you were a young pup playing pro or uh, playing CFF at that time frame, but if you remember Pat White there, but um, they said, yeah, but he, has, uh, he rips off long runs with his bursts and speed, kind of like Pat White did in his time in college before he got drafted to the Miami Dolphins. So, um, Kansas State already has a uh, an incumbent quarterback there with Walker Howard, but I don't think we have too much longer of him being there. I think we have you're the more the uh, eligible kind of guy. You would probably understand how much time does Walker have before we start seeing probably Avery in this lineup. Uh, Will Howard, um, I wouldn't. Yes, don't, sorry. Yeah, Walker's uh, over there at uh, Ole Miss now, but yeah, Will Howard. Um, he he's got two years left. Uh, interestingly enough, they tried their best to redshirt him last year, uh, but Adrian Martinez kept getting hurt. Otherwise, he'd have three years left, which is crazy because it feels like he's been on campus in Manhattan for forever now already. But yeah, he's uh, he's got this year and then he's got next year if he wants it. So when it comes to Kansas State, a lot of people think about the running game, especially especially with Ward kind of coming over there at a running back one. But Will Hard had some a little bit of capability. I do like Ben Sanat. I think he's a really good tight end standout. He also doubles as a running back eligibility if you need that as well for fan tracks. But overall, on tight end, I think he's a good guy to kind of get in there his way. Do you think the quarterback position should be coveted more in Kansas State, or do you think it should kind of stay at his like middle of the road, you know, like a good one for like a QB two or three play during the week? What do you what do you think about Johnson and his capability to maybe transcend that? Can he make the position a little bit better, would you say? Yeah, I actually I I think this is a sneaky good upside uh, system for for quarterbacks since Colin Klein took over, which he took over he took over last year, and um, Adrian Martinez was was really effective just because he is more of a runner, and which Avery Johnson at least at this point in his career is kind of more along that Adrian Martinez spectrum than he is Will Howard. I mean, Will Howard's like six five two thirty. I mean, he's a, he's a monster. Um, but he he is a more refined passer. But yeah, I, I actually like this since Colin Klein took over. And if anybody remembers, 
Colin Klein, uh, sorry, my, my daughter is uh, going crazy in the background okay. up there. I apologize. Back, guys can hear that. <laughs> but <laughs> if anybody remembers Colin Klein, I mean, he was, uh, I, I mean, he was, he was a Heisman Trophy finalist. He was a CFF, uh, you know, stud. I mean, he, he top, top five CFF producer there. He ran the ball like crazy. Um, and I think he asked that of his quarterbacks. I think it's it's something where Avery Johnson's athleticism, which is is really off the charts, like we're talking about four or five speed, being compared uh, to White, like he was there with with what you were reading. I mean, that's that's I mean, that's incredible athleticism, and I think that can play really well in this system. Yep, I think the only knock they said is him being 175 pounds. He just has to kind of put on a little bit more size, especially in you know the Big and, 12. It's a little bit bigger boy. You know they they play hard hard up there in the Big 12. So yeah, yeah. I mean he's I watched I watched some tape and I'm like, good lord, this guy's just a straight up beanpole. I mean he's just so he's so thin. Uh, but supposedly he's already put on 10 to 15 pounds since he's been on campus. He was in for the spring. Um, and he's already put on some, some weight. So I think that's, I think that's really good. He's got a long ways to go to develop. Uh, but he, uh, uh, I, I think that there's the, the ceiling with him is, is really, really, uh, intriguing. Yeah. And I think the draft capital is kind of showing that in our, in a recent one, CFF dynasty, no best ball, just, you know, you have to set the lineup and everything round four, pick one which I thought was really good. So they obviously see the upside of taking Avery Johnson as the, the guy to take over after Howard's uh, all done and wrapped up there at, at Kansas State. You guys just had your uh, big 24 team, I believe. It's a uh, best ball, right, where the big boys won. You guys had multiple rounds. Do you remember where Avery round up or where he landed up? Yeah, yeah I'm trying I'm trying to actually pull it up right here. Let's see. He went uh, – looks like he went round – Sorry, it's a 24 teamer. So keep in mind, 24 teams, but he went around nine. So like, if this were a startup, you could be looking like right around the end of the 19th round, somewhere right in there, 215th overall player off the board. So just kind of give you an idea. Uh, for standard 12 team startup, we're probably looking somewhere around round 19. Which I think is pretty solid, especially if you can get them at the end. Because a lot of people just kind of forget about Kansas State. You know, if it wasn't for certain players standing out, Kansas State's one of those sneaky teams, kind of like in Nebraska, like we talked about in a different conference where they kind of go under the radar. But you can get some good talent that's out of there. So I think it's good value, man. Uh, any last words on Mr. Johnson before we move on, man? Yeah, I just think just given his upside, if you're drafting Will Howard in a dynasty, I think he's somebody that – if you got a supplemental draft going on and you own Will Howard, or if you have a startup and you draft Will Howard, I, mean, I think you you can't leave that draft without also adding Avery Johnson uh, to it. I just think that uh, that transition from Howard to Johnson is just going to be pretty seamless. Uh, no, they're not going to be out. They can't out recruit him at K State. He's he's going to be the next man up there, and he's just a really intriguing option after that top tier of guys, you know, like after Nelson and Moore and Arch and Nico and Arnold are all off the board. Um, I think Avery Johnson slides right in there in that, that tier right after that group. Yeah, he's definitely that tier two. And this is probably one of the better recruits that Kansas state has gotten in a while, especially when it comes to the quarterback position. So definitely a guy to have. And I agree the handcuff would probably be a good situation, especially if you guys, you know, is, you know, if any of you guys have like quarterbacks that, you know, that's like going into their junior senior year, or it's very possible they're going to go to an NFL draft. That's a good thing to remember. Look for in the supplemental guy, if they haven't been picked up already, make sure you're getting the extra, uh, the next quarterback next in line. Cause I think that's important. All right, man, let's talk about Mr. JJ Cole. 
and he is a on three consists 92.89 and he's a four-star uh athlete he has decided to go to iowa state um this guy is absolutely huge nate he's six seven 231 pounds a big big boy uh he's a jumbo size quarterback one of the strongest arms in the 2023 cycle there um they said that he uh, drives the ball considerable velocity um he he's he smashed as a junior and then the senior season he put up little good ones uh really he didn't really show up until the elite 11 where he actually put up a good fight I believe he was in the top five or six there with uh, your boy Jackson Arnold winning that battle of the Elite 11 in that year. Uh, but J.J. Copel, uh, you know, proven to be really good. And we got to talk about Iowa State because there's some rumblings that we might be seeing Mr. J.J. Cole a little bit faster than what we thought <laughs> with uh, possible suspensions coming out of the pipe, whether that would be to Mr. Deckers or maybe Mr. Brock there running back. So our uh, our favorite from last year, Mr. Caratavius Norton, I call him the antivirus. Maybe the antivirus will get some good play this year as running back. But we might see J.J. Cole, a big six, seven guy that can run out of the pocket. Um, his pro comparison is Brock Osweiler, which as a Broncos fan makes me cringe so hard. Um, but at the same time, as an Arizona State quarterback, Brock Osweiler was pretty good. But J.J. Cole is much more athletic. He has a good basketball background, and he can move out of the pocket a little bit faster. I like J.J. Cole, and I was able to grab him. I was the one that picked him up round 10, pick two in a CFF uh, freshman one. Another where he just slumped under the radar, thinking I was just going to wait a year. But here I am, Nate, and I was like, well, if your boy Dylan Gabriel doesn't do too good for me, I can, you know, if Dante Moore is not starting already, I can go ahead and slide J.J. Cole in there with Drake May and have a nice little one-two combo. What's your thoughts on J.J. Cole when you had a chance to look at him, and what do you think about him at Iowa State? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's solid value that I think you got with him there. Um, because I know you enjoy a good, uh, background story and good bio here. I do. Uh, I do have one for you whenever I was taking a look at JJ Cole. So fun fact, his dad for a living runs a kicking and punning camp, uh, where he travels all across the country. It's called like Cole's kicking camp or something like that. And I was looking at it because, you know, obviously there's a website. And I mean, this is like legit stuff where he's got like 30 stops all across the country. And I guess he trains dudes and he's got a whole bunch of kickers and punters Wasn't that have come out of his camp. To, at one point? I don't know. I was, or at least the elite kicker. It, it would make sense because I think people are paying really good money to have him instruct them on how to uh, to kick a football. So uh, I just thought that was interesting. Uh, what, what a cool uh, profession that is uh, that your dad would have. Uh, as a as a high school football player there, but uh, yeah, as far as JJ Cole himself, yeah, you're right. This dude's a, this dude's a, a beast. Uh, he he's huge. The thing that I liked whenever I was watching his tape though is that he's even though he's massive, six seven two thirty five or whatever, he he doesn't really lumber. Like he gets around pretty good. I mean, make he's no mistake, great. the guy's not he's not fast or anything like that. But I do think he's going to be pretty effective around the goal line. Uh, and you touched on it. The the arm strength and, and and really his his arm talent itself is really what stands out and, and why it makes sense that he really thrived in that elite elite eleven kind of setting because um, I mean his arm is incredible. I think I think I had I had seen somewhere that uh, he has the highest velocity over expected of any of the QBs graded by our C2C recruiting team. And that's something that they just yep. use to determine, okay, how, how much arm strength are we really looking at whenever we're doing this, taking a look at this on tape. So uh, to have, he was, he was either the highest or he was right up there towards the very top. So uh, yeah, I think uh, he, he definitely, he definitely has a lot of tools. 
whenever I watched tape, I kind of thought slow Josh Allen, maybe slower Josh Allen. Poor man's Josh Allen. That kind of rings my bell a little bit. I don't remember uh, how much of an athlete Os- Osweiler was. I remember he was tall and lanky and all that, but I just He's can't a bit remember. Lumbering, I would say. Yeah. Uh, definitely Cole has a little bit more of the speed accuracy or yeah. just speed in general. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So we got to talk about it. Like if Cole was to start this year and it's only because suspension, I get it. But like, do you think he can just straight up take Decker's job? Like he just, he wins this and he doesn't look back because honestly, I mean, he was a three-star, but as soon as he got, you know, into the elite 11 and destroyed people, like he earned his four star. And then this is one of the better guys that they've gotten. Of course, we've seen what Brock Purdy has been able to do, you know, as moving on to the NFL. So for those that are playing C2C now, like, this is definitely an intriguing spot as far as an uh, Iowa State quarterback. So what do you think, man? Do you think if Cole takes this in the in the fight there in the summer camp, do you think he can hold on to it and beat out Deckers next year when he comes back? Um, boy, we're making a lot of assumptions there. Uh, a lot of so, we're assume, we're right, yeah. yeah, if we're yeah, if we're if we're assuming that uh for those that haven't heard on, on other podcasts, it, it potentially it's it's just it's just rumors, but potentially uh, Hunter Deckers uh, and maybe some other players got caught up into a little bit of a, a gambling scandal, um, and and maybe that there's some some penalty that could come with that. But if we were to make some kind of assumption, and and yet one, I'd be curious to see if he does end up starting out the gate. I Rocco Brecht or something like that's their backup. I can't imagine that he's going to be able to stand a chance with some of the talent that JJ Cole has here. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think long term, he's just a better quarterback than Deckers. Um, that would that would probably be a situation where if he comes out and he looks, you know, Cole looks good. Deckers probably finds his way to the portal and wants to have a little bit of a reset button on his career, given how things maybe have had gone there in Ames. But yeah, I, I don't know. That's making it's it's making a lot of assumptions. I will say that if you drafted him or if you're planning on drafting him, you probably feel a little bit better about him today than you did. Uh, you know, a month ago, just given some of the the smoke that's out there floating around Deckers right now. Yeah, at around ten value when the when the rumor and innuendo mill started running, I was uh I was super stoked, Nate. I was super stoked. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think probably my biggest concern here is that I, I just I don't love Matt Campbell's system. Um, you know, historically for quarterbacks, I love it for running backs. Uh, obviously, with 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 some of the guys that they've had there. Uh, but for quarterbacks, it's just not a high volume passing type of offense. Um, and so it, it would be a situation for CFF. He's really going to have to get some work around the goal line, I think, to make up for some of the lack of, uh, of volume, pace of play, those types of things, explosive plays that, that Iowa State generally tends to lack. I mean, they got Shieldhouse taking over as OC this year, so we'll see if there's any changes. But I'd be a little hesitant to expect um, – you know, just this high powered offense uh, from a passing standpoint under Campbell. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a wait and see out of the gate to see how everything kind of turns out. But if you're drafting in Dynasty, definitely don't forget about J.J. Cole, especially with the rumor that he might actually start sooner than later. That means that he could be an impact freshman. And that's what this entire show is all about is who can you get to start ASAP? This might be a guy that you want to target for sure. All right, man, let's move on to another quarterback. And this is 
Uh, Mr. Austin Nace is one of his favorite guys here in the cycle. And this is Mr. Brady Drogosh. Of course, he is an on-three consensus 89.04, barely making him a three-star. He was almost a four-star prospect, and he did commit to Cincinnati. Now Cincinnati moving up into the Big 12 play. They will be one of the other teams, along with Houston, that will kind of take the place of Oklahoma and Texas as they move to the SEC. So Drogosh, 6'4", 196 uh, pounds. A big friend cornerback. Um, he has some of the best physical tools they said out of this cycle. He, uh, of course, we measured on that one. He does have a 10 and 3 8 uh, hand. So, for those that are the big hand nerds, if you're trying to see if he has NFL potential, he does have a decent hand. They already tested it, so you don't have to worry about that at all. And uh, he did run 4.68 second 40 yard dash and a 4.21 second shuttle. So that transfers as far as speed overall. He's able to kind of move around the pocket. He's a pure passer, but he does tend to uh, rush quite a bit. He rushed for 1,360 yards and 20 touchdowns as a as a quarterback there in high school, which, you know, that's pretty decent. I mean, that's big numbers. I mean, we all know that different play in different areas of high school and different states that you're in will kind of determine that the uh, competition that you play. Uh, he, they said he can be a little rigged uh, with his throwing and his motion, but that should uh, benefit quite greatly being under the new Cincinnati system. I think he'll kind of clean that up and things like that in particular. But the big thing that people like about uh, Drogosh is that he has a lot of tangibles. They actually compare him to Ryan Tannehill, who was at Texas A&M, who converted to quarterback. And now he, of course, is the, um, quarterback of the Tennessee Titans for a little while as well. They say that his strength, his strength, his strong arm, his high end athleticism reminds of, of Tannehill. Um, he said that uh, the developmental side, the Drogosh is a little bit more raw, but he has more potential than Tannehill did uh, coming out of high school into going into Texas A&M. Um, but the big thing is that we have one year of a transfer quarterback who has things is going to start this year. Dragos seems to be the guy, and then we'll talk about another wide receiver here at Cincinnati, which I think will be a good pairing as far as as early as 2024, but we can see it later depending on what happens. Um, so what's your thoughts on Dragos? Did you get a chance to see him? What do you think about the Cincinnati, you know, this in the new Big 12 and stuff like that? What's your overall thoughts on Cincy and Brady here kind of starting in 2024? Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely watched some tape on him. It's been a little while since I watched it, but uh, but but I, I was looking at some of my notes. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned the good size. He's, he's got good frame. Uh, I, I still think he's pretty raw from a passing standpoint from what I saw on tape. Um, and I, I thought it was interesting. He he is definitely a runner. Um, he's not like super athletic, like what we talked about with Avery Johnson. As far as from what I saw, it was more of like he does. He's not afraid to use his body. He's just like a straight up battering ram. Yeah. Uh, it does it does not surprise me he had 20 touchdowns because this dude, you know what it kind of reminded me of? It reminded me of um, Sam Ellinger, but with maybe a little yeah. bit more zip on his ball. Uh, but you know how Sam Ellinger and, and even Sam Howell to a certain degree kind of ran the same way where it was just like, hey, I'm not going to outrun you. Um, it, I mean, Drogosh has good straight line speed, but he just is not afraid to uh, just run people over. I uh, saw that a lot on his tape. Uh, he runs really well between the tackles, uh, so I, th I think that's that's interesting. And and yeah, I mean, probably the 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 main thing here is is that he he does have a a really clear path to becoming the next guy up, like you talked about. I think that's it's kind of uh, it, to me it's it's a little bit the opposite of what I saw with JJ Cole, or, or like JJ Cole loved the tape. I didn't love the system. Drogosh, I didn't really love the tape, but man, uh, I mean, we're talking about that—that's that Satterfield system right there, and you're the next man up. I and mean, this is the same 
same coach uh, that produced Malik Cunningham and his incredible season two years ago and, and another good season last year before he started getting dinged up. Uh, so, yeah, I think that there's there's a lot to like, even if even if somebody like me didn't really love what they saw on tape from the the actual tools part of things. Yeah, I, it's one of those ones like even though he's raw, I think being in, with Satterfield in that system, I think he'll just kind of come to be what we need him to be. And maybe that raw stuff will kind of transcend into like being more of that one. But ultimately, the system is, is just can't miss. It's just one of those that you have it. We're not really worried about Evan Prater anymore. Basically, he had his chance to do it not anymore to the point where they brung in good old Emory. Uh, who's still kicking around. He's got one good season left at Cincinnati. So we know for sure we only have one, I think, one year left. I, you can tell me if I'm wrong as far as eligibility, but I think everybody has, what, one year left? Actual one year left? Yeah, that's right. His, this okay. is it for him. All right, so literally we're just we're waiting, and then if something happens or Emory gets hurt, best believe Drogosh, who's getting a lot of the hype there, especially in spring and summer, he's the guy that's the next man up, and there's no one to compete against him. So Drogosh is a guy that you need to be grabbing for sure. Uh, he went in round three, pick 12, so he actually went higher than Avery Johnson in the actual draft on there as well. I think that's because of Cincinnati and people loving Satterfield and that type of CFF. Do you recall where he went in the best ball dynasty draft? Do you remember? Uh, so he, again, 24-teamer, but he went around 12. Uh, so, I mean, give you an idea, uh, you know, that was that was seven rounds earlier than where we talked about with, uh, with Avery Johnson. Yeah. So uh, he went quite a bit. Uh, quite a bit earlier than Avery Johnson. Yeah. Jared Jared was really pissed because I think Jared took Emory, Emory Jones, and then uh-huh. like his plan was on the next the Brady. next swipe through to go ahead and <laughs> and get that handcuff with Brady, yeah. and uh, and it did not happen in his favor. He was like, "You gotta be kidding me! Somebody's gonna take him while I'm sitting here with Emory Jones." We call that trade bait. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> go get your guy, Jared. Go get your guy. All right, man, that's going to cover the quarterbacks for Big 12, or at least for this cycle. Let's move on to the running backs. Let's talk about Mr. Cameron Cook, who's 5'9 and a half and 181 pounds. He did commit to TCU. He is on three, consists of 90.33 and a four-star commit. Um, they said he's one of the most well-rounded athletic profiles for running back in the entire country. Um, he ran an elect- uh, electronically timed, so it's electronic, which should be pretty accurate, but 4.58, 40-yard. And he had a blistering 4.01 shuttle and 6.75 three cone uh, during the spring camp circuit uh, in his senior season. So this was right before he committed here to TCU. Uh, he also jumped uh, short of a 10 foot broad jump at a 34 inch vertical during the spring camp as well. So they have some. He said he's just pretty explosive. Is what people are seeing on his tape going with it. He uh, displays tremendous body control and contact balance. He runs with a strong leg drive and a low pad level, which is good to see. Which means that he's going to be harder to bring down, which is really good. He's a high floor player who will destroy teams between the tackles at the next level and can be a consistent contributor to any offense. So uh, here we are at TCU, which has just produced Kendra Miller. Um, uh, I forget you have to remind me because there's been so many players. Who's their current running back at TCU? I believe he's got a couple more years, right? Well, yeah, I mean, Trey Sanders transferred right, in from Alabama, Alabama, and then Amani Bailey is there right, who, who right. transferred from Louisiana. Yeah, those are probably the two, those are probably the two main guys that that stand in his in his way at this time. Yeah, but do we really trust Trey Sanders with the, the lingering issues of injury? No, or do you no, think no, no. he's uh, you know, just there to be a two 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 back system type situation until they can figure out what's going on. Yeah, I mean, if you're if if you're investing in in Trey Sanders and expecting him to stay healthy all year, then um, I, I, 
you you aren't me that's for sure <laughs> you're playing with fire is what he's trying to tell you yeah. uh so so Cameron Cook has a pro comparison of Keyshawn Vaughn who you know played at Vanderbilt he also went to 2020 to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers they said his running style versatility reminds him of Keyshawn though Cook had a more productive senior season which means that they feel like Cook was well ahead as far as his production and actual like his talent compared to Keyshawn when coming into Vandy of course this is a, a bit different Vanderbilt you know being the smaller end, it's still SEC, so they still have to go against some pretty competitive stuff. And Keyshawn did pretty good when he did get a chance. Um, but you know, TCU is a very formidable school. Of course, they were just in the national championship. Um, and Sonny Dykes, you know, tends to use a good running back if they get a good hot streak going. Uh, what was your thoughts about Cameron Cook? Did you get a chance to check him out and yeah, what, what you think about his opportunity? Because it seems like he's got a decent clear path if he can get through these uh, these guys that are kind of sticking around or trying to transfer, you know, all that stuff. Right. I mean, Sanders and Bailey, I mean, th- those, those are guys they're, they're not, you know, they're not Braylon Allen and, and Quinchad Junkins. I mean, that's not what we're talking about him having to hop here. So, uh, I mean, I think those two will definitely get their shot before cook. Uh, but you know, if, if he finds a way on the field and impresses, I, I don't think that Imani Bailey or, or Trey Sanders are going to be the type of player to keep him uh, at bay. So yeah, from what I saw with with his with his film, I mean, he's shifty. He's he's twitchy as hell. Uh, you know, he's he's got great hips. He's he's smooth as far as uh, you know, uh, cutting back, lateral movement, jump cuts, those types of things. Uh, I, I would probably push back a little bit on what uh, on three. I think is what you're reading as far as their breakdown, yeah, as far as his game in between the tackles. To me, from what I saw, he he didn't look super interested in in grinding between the tackles too much. He's an outside runner, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and it makes sense. I mean, he, he's 5'11", 180, 185. I mean, he's not a big guy. There's potentially some, some weight can be put on there. I didn't see a huge frame. I, I'm not sure he's a guy that's going to get in that like 210 range. I just don't, I don't think that's happening for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, this is guy that is, is really uh, agile and, and accelerates really well, uh, does not, uh, you know, need a whole lot to be able to change directions and that type of thing. So that's really nice. I just, uh, I'll be interested to see if he, if he ever becomes kind of that bell cow type that, uh, that Sonny Dykes as well as Bryles, uh, Kendall Bryles, who's now there at TCU. They, they do like, they prefer a bell cow. They can find one and use it. I just don't know if his body is going to stand up to it. You know who we kind of reminded me of, uh, whenever I was watching his tape was actually, uh, George Petaway who's there at North yeah. Carolina. Yeah. So really, really, really explosive, I wouldn't say that Cook's got like leave you behind long speed. I don't know that he's got like elite long speed, but um, I think he can really accelerate for that first, you know, 10, 15, 20 yards. And I think that's really that's really the main thing you're looking at. And he he catches the ball pretty well, which um, Kendall Bryles does like to use his his running backs in the pass game. Yeah, Cook's an elite receiver. And he like you were saying, he's got that good one uh, one leg plant where he can kind of get out and go when he does his first acceleration, but yeah, not elite when it comes to second level, but as long as you have a 20 yard head start, you know, most times you just don't catch anybody. So that's usually how it takes. So, um, so he went actually undrafted in our CFF one, but as soon as waivers uh, did one, Mr. Mike Brainbridge picked him up very quickly. So used to say if Mr. CFF site himself is uh, grabbing him as well, maybe we should be paying attention to Cameron cooker. He has, at least a feeling that he might have some some path to start sooner rather than later. Um, 
What's your, what's your thoughts? Do you think Cameron Cook is a waiver option? Do you think, you know, maybe if you are in a startup, maybe grab him the later rounds? Or do you think he's like a waiver wire watch, you know, watch list type guy? What's your what's your thoughts on Cook? Yeah, he's probably he's probably somebody I'm 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 waiting to kind of see what happens. Uh probably waiting on on the waiver wire. He went round 21 in my 24 team or so. I mean, we're talking 40 plus rounds uh in a in a in a standard 12 team startup dynasty. So uh, he's somebody you can wait on pretty, pretty long ways. Um, he wasn't in for spring, I don't believe. So um, I just, uh, there's not a ton of buzz happening on him quite yet, but he's somebody that's pretty electric. If he sees the field uh, could, could make a name for himself pretty quick. Yeah. He's, he's highly anticipated and now he's on campus. So now as a uh, summer practices start here very soon, we should be hearing some rumblings and seeing how this pans out at TCU with the run game, but Definitely keep Cameron Cook on the watch list or grab him later in waivers if you can uh, while he's still at value before you can anymore. So go check him out. All right, let's move on to a guy that uh, I had, you know, a pretty decent conversation with Corey. And when we did the cream of the crop episode, we talked about guys like Baxter and Owens and those guys that are higher end. I brought up Parker Jenkins just because of the opportunity that he has there at Houston. So he's an on three consensus, 89.95, four star athlete. He did choose Houston. Um, he's 5'10 and a half on 184 pounds when he first got on the campus. Um, they said he's a patient runner and he's had excellent footwork between the tackles. He also possesses the long speed, and that's what we're talking about. Nate is there. He can hit a home run pretty much as soon as he hits the, the mark. If he takes off, is you're not going to catch him. He's just that fast. Um, he ran an impressive 10.66 100-meter and was a member of the state runner. Uh, so he was on the actual state running team. <laughs> so needless to say, that tells you that he's got some track legs. Um, like I said, good leg drive with power, and he's able to finish runs. Um, he passes catches, which is of ease, and that just means another weapon for Mr. Holgerson to have there in that elite. Uh, you know, he's got a really good wide receiver room, and he's got you know a decent quarterback at Donovan Smith that can kind of get the job done. Um, and now with uh, with Mr. Uh, Alden McCaskill heading over to Colorado, you know there is a just all out war to try to see who can start there at Houston. Um, he has the ability to become a true workhorse at the next level is what they said. And he uh, didn't have a pro reading, but when we looked up the CTC comparison, they expect him to be Kamar Wheaton, but this was Alabama, not for SMU where he went and, and didn't do anything. So they're thinking that uh, at peak, he could be a Kamar, a Kamar Wheaton, but a little bit more of an elite, more bell cow. So what's your thoughts on Parkin Jenkins? What do you think about the situation at Houston as they move to the big 12, man? Yeah, his ta- his tape's fun. I could definitely see him seeing the field pretty early as a returner, uh, if nothing else. Uh, he, he's he's an elite returner from everything that I saw. That's interesting that on three has him there at a 10 6 6. That's a little bit faster than than what I'd read. So that's nice. Maybe he actually improved from the uh, the 10 8 uh, 100 meter time that that I had seen. So he, he definitely is a glider. He can he's got really nice long speed. Um, he sets up his blocks really well. I like his vision. Uh, a little bit undersized as well, too, but I but I I think right. he's kind of in that 195 range, so I I don't think it's too much of a hindrance. I think um, more than anything, kind of the the opposite of of what we talked about with Cameron Cook, where he's in a great system. Kendall Bryles, Sonny Dykes, I mean, those guys churn out top tier running backs all the time. Uh, that's not that's not really the case with Dana. Dana Holgerson is pretty inconsistent when it comes to his running backs. I mean, there's some seasons where Dana's just like, screw it. I'm just going to pass every time. I don't even really care about running the ball. So uh, so that that part is a little concerning just because of that inconsistency and his willingness to abandon the run at times. 
Uh, but the fact that Jenkins is a really nice, um, you know, pass catcher, he's got, he's got solid hands, I think will help. That's, I think that's really what helped uh, Alton McCaskill be pretty effective in that offense um, because I just don't know that the, the run volume is going to be there. It's just very rare. Will we see a running back get over 200 touches uh, with, with Dana Holgerson? Yeah, I was going to bring up, I think the only reason why I see Parker Jenkins kind of accelerating himself to getting on the field faster was his receiving ability. Whether he's, you know, like you said, taking punt returns, kick returns, special teams, whatever he's got to do to kind of get in there, I think he just gives them a chance to actually try and get on the field. And maybe if he's not, you know, taking like a first or second down, maybe in third down situations, if they need a dump pass or something like that, that's fantasy points, right? So that's kind of what we're looking for for Mr. Jenkins. Um, so he went round nine, pick four in our in our freshman and supplemental draft. Well, that's what I thought was pretty good. Um, and I believe he went to I want to say it was Justice that picked him up. So I thought that was a pretty good pickup and a good value at round nine, pick four, especially with a guy that maybe not at the beginning of the year, but who knows? I'm thinking maybe game five, game six, we might be seeing a little bit more Parker Jenkins if they could kind of iron out. Or this could be complete dominance by like Sam Brown and Matthew Golden and Jenkins is just there for third down scenarios, basically. So yeah. Um, so what do you, what's your thoughts on Jenkins as far as his value in Dynasty and things like that? I, he seems like a really good recruit and that he could be a McCaskill replacement possibly. So Yeah, he uh, he was right there. He actually went just a handful of picks after Cameron Cook in my 2014 startup. So that was round 21. He went right after Cameron Cook. So you're looking, you know, 12-team startup. You're still looking, you know, post-round 40. Uh, in a CFF startup dynasty. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I think similar to Cameron Cook, I, I think that the talent is there. You want to take a flyer on him. I, I certainly wouldn't wouldn't knock you, even if the system doesn't really, you know, set up well for him to be a, a bell cow type. Yeah, I think he's worth the swing. So I definitely think he's a guy that you need to grab. And freshman supplemental is a guy that he won't make it to waivers. So you're going to have to be – if he's your guy, if you guy you want to take a stab up, you're going to have to you know swing on him and, and go for that as well. So definitely remember the name Parker Jenkins. We think that he'll be in the lineup very soon, especially maybe as soon as this year for as well. So let's talk about our first Oklahoma guy as well. Mr. North Carolina himself, Mr. Dalen Smothers. He's on three consensus, 89.49. Four-star athlete who committed to Oklahoma out of the great state of North Carolina. Every U, every NC team wanted him, but Oklahoma snagged him. Mr. DeMarco Murray was like, nah, I got to have him. He's our guy. Um, so he was a productive rusher, a tough runner who accounted for over 1,700 yards and 30 touchdowns as a junior. Uh, he raids his blocks and he shows vision and he, he loves working. So as soon as he gets to the second level, he's gone. Uh, I think that has a lot to do with that uh, smaller frame. We'll talk about he's 5'10 and a half, 173 pounds. A little lighter for the Oklahoma standard, I'd have to say as well. Um, but this, he says he shows a solid burst ability to rip off chunk gains. Uh, he was an excellent receiver, so he's another weapon. We'll talk about another weapon that's coming in that's a 6'3 receiver here shortly as well. Um, and he played one of the top high school programs in North Carolina, of course, we talked about. And then he had a little snafu as far as a transfer, but he eventually got to West Charlotte. Um, smaller, like I said, smaller than most of the, the running back prospects there. Um, they said that he just needs to gain mass. And then I think if anyone can do it, it's DeMarco Murray and that running back team. You know, I feel like they got a great program there. You know them better than others. So I need your insight. What do you think about Dalen Smothers? We know of Gavin Solchuk. We know Javante Barnes. You know, is this just the third rotation or just a guy to maybe punt or punt returns, kick returns? Or is he in the weapons plan maybe at a, at a receiver option here for Oklahoma? What's your thoughts? 
Yeah, let's let's start with the size. Like you mentioned, he's he's undersized. What's funny is all three of these running backs we talked about, Cook, Jenkins, and now some others, they're all right in the same uh, range as far yeah. as build. Uh, so he actually showed up to campus um, at 182, has since gained five pounds. Here. Five pounds, he's up to 187 now. 5'11", 187 right. is his official uh, height and weight. Um, and as you mentioned, he, I, I'm basing, I didn't really go back and watch much of his junior tape. I'm basing a lot of kind of what I've seen from him from the spring game. Cause as you mentioned, transfer issue, he didn't even play his senior year. Um, wasn't right. eligibility due to grades or anything like that. It was just a transfer issue. So he, he hasn't played since his junior season. Um, he's shifty. He's explosive. Um, a lot like some of the other two guys we've talked about actually on this show. He, so I think he is going to find a way to get onto the field at some point at times this year because of his pass catching ability probably will still end up red shirting, but I think we see him in a handful of games. We get four to red shirt. Um, the word is the moment he stepped on campus, he was already the best pass catcher out of anybody in that running back room. That includes Gavin Salchuk. That includes Marcus major and, and and Barnes guys like that. So, um, so I think he definitely sees the field at some point, um, becoming that, uh, you know, that type of player as, as a third down type back, first of all, um, and then just kind of sees, okay, how's it go from there? Are we able to start giving him, you know, five, six, seven carries and, and just kind of seeing what kind of player, uh, he is running the ball as well too. So, yeah, here's, here's the problem with, with, with Dalen Smothers that, that we've, you you had kind of alluded to, he's not passing Saul Chucker Barnes on the depth chart. He, he's he's not even right. passing. I mean, Marcus Major, uh, you know, the guy's been there forever, but he's two hundred and twenty five pounds. I mean, he's he's going to have somewhat of a role too. He's not passing him. Um, we didn't we didn't have Caleb Hicks on the show sheet, but he's another freshman that's coming in at running back. Uh, Demarco signed two with this class. And I like Caleb Hicks quite a bit, actually. I, I think he's, as far as an all-round back, is a, is a better player right now than Smothers. He's bigger. He's a little bit um, better as far as running between the tackles. So he probably redshirts this year. But here, herein lies another problem: is that right now, I mean, Demarco's just crushing it on the recruiting trail yeah. right now. We Oklahoma currently leads on Taylor Tatum in the twenty-four class who's by some services the number one overall running back in the country. And they're also leading on Caden Durham, who's another top 10 running back, who's kind of Dylan Smothers like where he's he's the speed guy. So my concern is, is that if he doesn't pop in year one, that he could get recruited over. So I guess I guess that's probably the issue that I would have with with Dalen Smothers. So we say that would you think that Smothers is a like he's an Oklahoma guy through and through? Like, or is he like, hey, if I don't get the playing time, I'm really well known in North Carolina. Maybe I can go find a spot, whether that's state, or, you know, wherever, you know, Charlotte, and, you know, coastal, some one of those Carolina schools. You know, I think right. we're okay at UNC, but you know, who's to say he doesn't take a look there either and tries to compete against Petaway? Like, what's your thoughts? Do you think he sticks around? Do you think he's under that Demarco Murray uh, spell where he just stays? Does he become a wide receiver? I'm, I'm curious, Nate. <laughs> I, uh, I'll be honest with you. I haven't sat down and had lunch with Smothers over at the uh, O'Connell's on campus corner yet. Uh, that'd be great. If, if he invites me, I'd, I'd come down. I'd, uh, I'd eat cheese fries with him. It'd be good. Um, but uh, so it's hard for me to get in his head and, and, and kind of know what he's thinking here. He, he's a North Carolina guy. He doesn't have a lot of ties to the region. 
Uh, it would not shock me if, um, if in fact, DeMarco does find a way to land Taylor Tatum and or Caden Durham. And, you know, kind of the writings on the wall. If Hicks ends up getting a little bit more run than he does this year, Sawchuck and Barnes are in their second year. So, I mean, they've got a couple more years left as well. Uh, it's, just, it's just a lot of bodies, you know what I mean? So nowadays – Kids transfer all the time. Uh, would not would not shock me whatsoever if uh, if on down the road he ends up playing for somebody else. I don't know. It's hard, hard for me to say, but I I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. Uh, so and and uh, the the CFF uh, the dynasty he went round twelve, pick two. So I mean, like that was out of sixteen rounds as far as a freshman supplemental. So people are still thinking they like his talent, uh, whether he stays at Oklahoma or not. C2C has him a comparison of Richard Reese out of Baylor, which I thought was a really interesting uh, concept. If they put the two together as far as overall height, weight, and you know capabilities and things like that, uh, you know if Smothers is highlighted. He might have a chance to really produce, you know, whether that's here or a different university. So is he? So he he wasn't drafted as a placeholder. It was actually him that got drafted. No, it was actually him. Yeah, he was already in. Yeah, he, he is in fan track. I don't know. He, exactly. uh, he, went, he went undrafted in our 45 round 24 oh, wow. team uh startup dynasty. He uh, I was just searching Smothers, and actually, Logan Smothers got drafted, but not Dalen Smothers. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so he went uh, he went undrafted in our uh, in our startup. So uh, so yeah, I mean, he's somebody I, I would guess you could probably wait for. You gotta. My sorry to just throw a cold towel over the the, the smothers situation here, but it just it's it's tough to see him playing this year, and it's tough to see him playing a serious role next year. Um, just given the amount of bodies that they have in that room, it's kind of you know kind of like we were seeing in North Carolina. Man, they got a lot of good yeah. good players in that running back room, and nobody so far nobody's transferring. Why is Marcus Major still doing in Norman? I don't know. Uh, the dude, biggest body they have. He's the new fullback. They're going to go back to a fullback system and just yeah. Run. The guy could go. The guy. The guy could go to the Sun Belt or the AAC and just and just wreck yeah. shop there. But he'd rather. Yeah. I mean, he's got a good life in Norman. I guess good to him. Good. Good on he him. Just lost the cheese fries too much, man. <laughs> thing, man. He found all the good spots. Major's like, I'm not getting out of Oklahoma, man. <laughs> Forget that. But yeah, check out Dalen Smothers. Go watch his tape. Um, I will say watch list. I would say I mean, yeah. I you know, I don't know if I would have necessarily picked him in round twelve. I might have snagged him in round sixteen as like a shoot your shot type of situation. But he'd definitely be a guy that I'd have on my watch list for a pickup if you're hearing any good rumors uh, as summer camp starts to to heat up. So if you hear anything good, grab him. Uh, or if you're still drafting at that point grab him in the late rounds. I think that would be okay still. Like I said, even if he transfers, he's worth it. So go check him out. Let's move on to wide receivers, man. And let's move on to Mr. Another guy that's going to TCU and a guy that's been highly talented and showing up big time as far as spring camp. That's Mr. Cordell Russell on three consensus, 94.70. He's a four star, almost a five star. Um, he's 6'2", 203 pounds. And they give him a pro comparison of Mr. Josh Gordon, who played there at Baylor before moving on to the Cleveland Browns. We're not talking about the XFL Josh Gordon. We're talking about the elite Josh Gordon, uh, you know, ganja and all. Like he was just the big body X receiver 
so that's Cordell Russell in a, in a nutshell. He's just athletic ability. He can develop into one of the top receivers in the cycle. They're saying that he has the potential to be 100, uh, one of the top 150 draft picks, you know, when he's coming out, which means that he could be, you know, first round, he could be second round. It really depends on what he's capable of. But they're saying that he could kind of be the more dominant guy that's coming in becoming eventually the Quentin, the Quentin Johnson replacement, if that makes sense, like a guy. And I know we have you know, a new OC and stuff like that, but this is a Sunny Deck system, and we want the alpha receiver. So with Cordell making a splash there in the spring, man, uh, I mean, like he said, play the All-American Bowl. He's just elite when it comes to, like, overall. I mean, he has raw technically, so, like, his routes are a little bit touchy, but they can kind of be worked on there at TCU, and that's a good school to kind of do it as, man. What did you see about Cordell Russell? Because they're saying they're hyping him up big time, especially in on three and stuff like that. So do you agree with that comparison? Because from what I saw, just doing the eye test, the guy's got it. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. this guy I'm pretty excited yeah. about. So what do you think about Russell as well at TCU? Yeah, yeah. He, he definitely passes the eye test. This dude's a freaky, freaky athlete. I mean, uh, just in, in, in really impressive size-speed combo, uh, which is fun because he's in that that – that Kendall Brile system, which produced Traylon Burks, who was another guy that had a really good size speed combo. You know, we, we loved just how big uh, and also how fast Traylon Burks was there at Arkansas under Kendall Bryles. So um, yeah, I, I, I think this is um, this is a guy that should be a top 10 uh, freshman wide receiver this year uh, out of this class, which is a really good class. And I still think he belongs there just because of that combination of his size and speed. Um, he's, you know, he's a little stiff as a mover. It's a mild critique just from, from what I saw from him. Uh, but I think he's got the highest ceiling out of any of the wide receivers we're going to discuss, uh, on the pod here. And, you know, I just, I think he's, I think he's really, he's kind of a specimen, man. He's a freak. He's an alien out there. I don't know if uh, you've seen any of his basketball highlights, but that man lives above oh, the rim. Uh, I imagine, yeah. He dunks on people nonstop. So if you're a fan of the official with those guys when they do the dunk ones, he was definitely a guy that they were like, oh, man, this guy's crazy. Um, and he's just really good. He's just a mismatch. He's really good at the 50-50 balls. He's just a guy that in the Big 12 could just completely wreak havoc and then just, just be complete. Um, separation as far as what he can does. He's really good when it comes to a lot of his, like he did a 7.143 cone. Um, he's done, you know, a lot of good stuff, 30 inch vertical, which is pretty decent as well. Um, so, I mean, he's got all the tangibles as well. He actually was able to slip because I think it's because of the supplemental picks that we had, but he was able to slip to round five, pick six um, in our draft, which I thought was a steal because honestly, like, I mean, I was playing the, you know, and one of the ones I was playing the, uh, the value game of Malachi Coleman, getting him in the round 10. But I, I think I, I think I was being too cute and I should have just uh, grabbed Cordell probably in the third or the fourth. But I wanted to go ahead and get a couple of supplemental guys because I needed some tight ends badly and stuff like that. But maybe I should have waited on the tight end a little bit more and grabbed Cordell. So the guy got him around five pick six, which I think is an incredible value, man. Uh, wh- where did he go? He had to go pretty high, right? You, you yeah, and the the twenty four team startup, he went around middle of round seven. So um, you know, so you're looking at like if that's a twelve team startup, I mean that's you know, we're talking about right around round fourteen or fifteen mm-hmm. right there. So um, which I, I think's probably about right when we're talking about a startup and, and everybody being in it. Um so yeah, I mean he's uh he's he looks like he's got a lot of talent and would not shock me if he if he sees the field this year at some point quite a bit 
Yeah, and from what they say about the spring, this guy is an absolute stud. I'm sure in the summer, as long as there's not an injury or anything, like this guy's probably going to be in the field ASAP and that'd be a contributor right away. Yeah, he he fractured his collarbone pretty early in the spring, but oh, right, do yeah. not do not if if you're interested in drafting him, do not let that sway you whatsoever. Collarbones heal quickly. He's fine. He's already 100. percent I can promise you. Uh, and if you've seen his Twitter account uh, with some of the uh, photos he's had on there recently. You can tell he's ready to go. So don't let the don't let the collarbone sway you at all. Yeah, he's throwing out those thirst traps like good old DK Metcalf right before he got drafted. <laughs> Just swole, right. man. Uh, yeah, we go pick up Cordell Russell. We don't even have to keep telling you, man. Like we all have man crushes on him. Just go grab him in your drafts, man, for sure. Let's talk about another Oklahoma guy, Mr. Jack Quez Petaway. Another Petaway, this time heading to Oklahoma. 5'11", 170 pounds, committed to Oklahoma. He's an on-three consensus, 94.56, a four-star athlete. Um, speedy, man. Speedy wideout, dynamic ability to win uh, in the slot is what they say. He's a textbook Z receiver is what they're they're saying out of on-three consensus. Uh, rare top-end speed, consistently takes the top off of defenses. We all like to hear that, especially in a run-and-gun type situation. We all know the gunslinger that Dylan Gabriel can be. And even if Gabriel falls off a cliff or just gets damaged or, you know, breaks whatever he's got left in him, Nate, um, Jackson Arnold could easily get this out to Jacquez pretty quickly to go on with it too. Um, he does not appear to have a large catch radius. So you have to kind of put it on his numbers or kind of put it in the triangle. Like we like to say, kind of get in the area. He doesn't extend as much. And that's one of the knocks that they have on him. Of course, 170 pounds. They're not too thrilled about that either. They say that he has to put on some size. So maybe you can tell me how that's going around. He just turned 18 years, uh, 18 years old. Uh, so he's one of the older guys in class. So that means he's coming on the campus, I believe at 19, almost 20. And that gives him a knock when it comes to the NFL prospect stuff, but we're, you know, we're talking CFF only this time around, man. So what was your thoughts? They give him a pro comparison of Travis Benjamin. They just think that he's built deep for, you know, dual threats and he plays a physical style. It's just his catch radius and his size is what's kind of holding him back. What, what was your thoughts on Petaway? I thought he was a good recruit, man, but uh, what, what are you thinking as far as how he can contribute to Oklahoma, man? Yeah, absolutely. So he wasn't in for the spring, uh, so we, we don't really have any uh, size, uh, weight numbers or anything like that on him yet. It does look like he'd, he'd put on a little bit of weight, but I know he was trying to keep it down because he he does compete. Uh, the reason why he wasn't in the spring is because he competes for track um, because he is, like you mentioned, so fast. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he competed at a uh, all-state level. He, he had numerous uh, timed sub- 10, 5, 100s. I mean, we talked about Cameron Cook and some of those other guys uh, being around, you know, 10, 6, 6. I mean, this is a guy that's running low 10, 4s. He's, he's crazy fast. Uh, one of the fastest wide receivers in this class. Um, I think the interesting thing for him is that since Keon Brown didn't qualify and he ended up going the Juco route, he was the only other wide receiver in this class for Oklahoma. He's literally the only wide receiver recruit, freshman wide receiver recruit that's coming in for OU. And obviously they brought in some transfers, but I tend to think he fits more. Like you mentioned, he's not a go up and get it 50, 50 ball kind of guy. He's not a contested catch kind of guy. So I don't really see him playing the boundary. He's a guy that works really well in space. He's quick that type of thing. I can see him playing the slot and kind of settling in there. And if so, I think he's got a pretty clear path. Drake Stoops graduates. This is, this is it for him. He doesn't have any more eligibility. So after Drake's gone, I mean, he's pretty much 
competing against Gavin Freeman, maybe Brennan Thompson, the transfer from Texas that came over for that starting slot position in 2024. Um, so I, I think he, I think he sees the field a fair amount this year, late in games, that type of thing. I don't, I don't even know that he'd be a year one zero wide receiver just because I think after, you know, after some of these games, you know, Tulsa, Arkansas state, stuff like that, I think they're going to continue to keep throwing the ball with, with Gabriel, Gabriel, with, uh, Jackson Arnold coming in because they want to get him ready for, you know, for the SEC as a first year starter next year. So I can see Petaway and, and Arnold hooking up on the, on a few touchdowns, uh, you know, late in games this year, for sure. So just lay it to me, man. How much time do I have left with Dylan Gabriel before I just need to send him off into the sunset? How before I put him on the thing? Are we talking Jackson Arnold like game two? Or are we am I getting a half a season of Dylan Gabriel? What can I expect, man? We we talked about this a little bit on the BTR pod as far as what the what the trajectory looks like for Dylan Gabriel's career. This I I would I would be 99% sure this is his last year in Oklahoma. Um, what that means for, for him moving forward, whether he tests the NFL waters, he's got another year left after this, um, uh, you know, whether, he, tran- whether he transfers uh, <laughs> Hawaii, which is where he's oh, from, which hey. would be a really cool setup, yeah, right? Yeah. From CFF standpoint, he'd be, yeah, he'd be sure. a gold mine in, in Hawaii. Um, but I think he holds on to the job all year. I don't think uh, unless injury becomes a factor, uh, I don't think that they're they're grooming um jackson arnold to take over this year i think it's they're they're shooting for 2024 um with him so i think you're gonna have a year of gabriel at ou after that i i don't know what what the future is looking like for him so let's talk about farouk because i you know i have some shares there as well mm-hmm. farouk has how many years he's got a couple years more right so yeah mm-hmm. so if petaway is early 2024 and he takes the top off that it probably opens up some path for Farouk as well, giving him more open looks. Maybe they won't double team him as much kind of being more the alpha, you know, the Marvin Mims kind of wide receiver one type guy. Uh, I think that would be a nice little pairing, especially if they uh, don't, you know, over recruit it or get like some big five-star uh, I'm sure Oklahoma is going to pull another wide receiver here in the 2024 class, if not two or three possibly, but you know, if Petaway could get on the field, I think that would be a nice pairing with Farouk. Can I be like the possible wide receiver two, maybe wide receiver three kind of situation? Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, man, the, the idea, if, if Farouk were to stay um, next year and to, the idea of having him uh, and Petaway in the slot potentially, uh, and maybe somebody like Andrew Anthony or something like that uh, on the outside uh, opposite Farouk with Jackson Arnold throwing him the ball. Uh, I'm all for that because that is an insane amount of speed uh, with those three guys, Petaway, Anthony, Farouk, um, you know, Brennan Thompson, guys like that. I mean, they're, Levy just ca- all he cares about is speed, 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 speed. I, I don't care um, what happens as far as your route running. We run the veer and shoot for uh, same thing that Josh Heupel runs, the, you know, the old Baylor offense. Uh, if you can run a straight line really fast, then we're going to put some safeties on islands, and we're going to make them look like fools because we're going to we're going to just kill people with speed. That's his only that's his only mod, his only deal right now. We can only hope for a new SEC matchup of Tennessee versus Oklahoma as far as who's going to just run and shoot each other out basically in that game. That would be a DFS dream, they, my friend. They play 2024. Oh, man. Get, yeah. get your money ready. Stack Josh, up. Josh Heupel, Heisman Trophy, uh, Heisman Trophy runner-up, national champion QB, comes back to Norman. There you go. 
I'm, I'm excited. I can't wait for that just for fantasy purposes alone as well, man. All right, man, let's talk about our last guy, Mr. Barry Jackson. He's 5'11", 175 pounds. On three consists is 87.85. He is a three-star. He did commit to Cincinnati. Um, he also competed in track and field at the varsity level. He did sprints, jumps, and relays. Uh, in 11th grade, he was a state qualifier. Um, and he took tweet, uh, 12th in the Peach State AAA Championship, so I'm assuming that's pretty high honors go along with it as far as the state that he was at he also ran the first leg of the four times 100 uh meter that's going on as well regional qualifier for the 100 meter dash so these guys got some 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 speed to him as well as a junior he caught 28 passes for 510 yards and seven touchdowns uh that was 2021 season so that was like limited right after covid to go along with as well uh those numbers helped him capture the uh their fourth uh, state title in five years so his high school that he did go to were national contenders as well um and then he scored uh from in the title game he did a return kickoff that was 72 yards out from uh you know from where he picked that up up so he's got definitely some capabilities did pop in the spring game we saw a little bit of barry jackson in action there whether uh, with Brady, and we're thinking that Barry Jackson and Brady Drogosh is probably going to be the next one-two combo that you're going to want for Satterfield's system and offense there um, for the 2024. Um, you know, I like to throw out the question. So in CTN, I did one like, what do you think about Barry Jackson in year one? Do you think he gets on as well? And I think the way that they, I believe Justice and Jared pointed out is that there's still some decent receivers still left at Cincinnati, but he could still slowly kind of move his way into the lineup. What's your thoughts on Barry Jackson? Did you get a chance to like look at any of stuff or uh, mm. see the spring game highlights and stuff like that? What was your thoughts on Barry Jackson and the fit at Cincinnati, which I thought was pretty decent? Yeah, I mean, clearly the staff likes him. They they raved about him all spring. Um, you know, he, he popped a touchdown in the spring game as well. Uh, so yeah, and this was a guy that was once committed to Nebraska, and that was back when um Mickey Joseph was the wide receiver coach over there in Nebraska before he got fired. And if you are familiar at all with Mickey Joseph, uh, I'm interested when he recruits a guy because that's the same guy that recruited Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Terrence Marshall, Trey Palmer. Those are all his guys. Um, So the dude, say what you will about some of the decisions he makes in life, uh, they're not good, but his decisions as a recruiter are really impressive. So, um, so, you know, that, that, that interests me as well too, but yeah, I think he I think he's got a chance to see the field early. Some of the Cincinnati receivers, again, it's kind of like the kind of like the TCU backfield. Uh yeah, they've done some things, but I, I don't know that if if Barry Jackson's a legit um, you know, legit wide receiver here, that they're gonna be enough. Guys like D. Wiggins and Xavier Henderson and Braden Smith are gonna be the type to keep Barry Jackson off the field in, in the long run. Yeah, I agree. I feel like Cincinnati, I mean, they they're competent. But they're just guys. They're not the guy. They're right. not standout like we saw last year. Cole Tucker and a few others that are just more standout. Of course, it's a different offense, different coach. Um, but at the same time, we're looking for an alpha in a Satterfield system. And I think he could definitely bet it. He had a C2C comparison of Reggie Thornton. That's 1991. Uh, I was very I, young. I don't playing know. Playing GI Joe's. I was Thornton. not playing fantasy football. <laughs> I was outside with my Tonka truck and God knows what else out there playing in the sand. Um, so I had no idea who Reggie Thornton was. So I picked, you know, did it, but the similar, very, you know, tall. He was about 185 pounds, really good catch radius. And they said that he was very quick. Um, only stayed in the league for a few years, but he is a Bowling Green uh, native. He came out of Bowling Green before he went to the Indianapolis Colts in 91. So apparently Bowling Green used to be good, Nate, and here we are just wanting a quarterback to play there for at least two years. You um, you could have told me anything about Reggie Thornton, and I would have believed you because I have no clue yeah. who that person is. 
Well, I wanted to steer you in the right direction because I didn't want to give you <laughs> fake news. Um, so I wanted to make sure I give you that as well. So I actually took Barry Jackson. I actually grabbed him in the round five, pick 11. Uh, I'm curious to where he went in the best ball draft because uh, I'm, I'm curious to see if people are also excited for Barry Jackson. Let me you see. Got a big boy draft. You guys did the full startup. so Barry, Yeah, Barry Jackson in the 2014 startup went uh, round 20. So right right around round 20. So he's a guy that in a startup, you're probably getting in a 12 teamer. You're probably able to get pretty, pretty late as far as kind of in that round, you know, 38 to 42 range, somewhere right in there. Gotcha. So where are you, you know, are you you taking him? You know, it's definitely, you know, it's a guy you got to grab. And I think you have to grab him somewhat early, especially if you're just doing a freshman supplemental. Um, Do you think is Cincinnati going to, over recruit because is that a possibility because it is Satterfield do you think it's possible where Barry Jackson's like this year's standout but someone new might come into to town what are your thoughts about Satterfield overall and his trends as a wide receiver uh, yeah so yeah I mean I, I've, I've looked pretty in depth at his wide receiver history I um it's it's similar to Dana Holgerson with running backs where it's kind of inconsistent I mean Tutu Atwell is the ceiling right I mean Tutu Atwell was right. a, was a monster a few years right. ago uh he was the top top 15 wide receiver uh, at Louisville. So that's probably what you're looking at as far as ceiling. If you get that, that's, that's great. Um, unfortunately there's just not a lot of tutu Atwells on his resume, uh, there, Scott Satterfield. So wide receiver, uh, is, is kind of inconsistent there with him. Right. But we're saying we need to take them just because the system, system, systems. This is where if you want to grab them. And then in big 12, it is a step up in competition, but we're excited to see what Cincinnati can do now in the Big 12 as they jumped up out of the AAC. All right, we're officially done with Big 12 talk. Are you ready to talk about some big fish, small pond? Good, sir. Let's, I'm, re- I'm ready. Let's roll. He's like, I'm ready. Let's just do it. <laughs> All right, man. So in the guide. I'm so curious, I'm so curious who, who we're going to land on here. Yep. Well, I'm going to hit you with the uh, the, the buildup first. So in the CFF guy, we actually talked about a freshman that is actually going to a particular school. This guy is going to the same school, but I want to bring him up because the athleticism is off the charts, and I feel that we need to talk about it. And that is Mr. Jamel Hardy, who's on three consistent 85.90, three-star who committed to UTSA. So I think we're talking about Arbor in the guide, or Arbor. I'm trying to remember the name and not butcher his name completely. But that's the guys that I believe Jared was talking about in the freshman 50. I believe it was either you or Jared that wrote that up, I believe. Um, but they're talking about how he was showing some pretty good uh, signs as well. And we need to talk about the UTSA wide receiver room. So very coveted. Frank Harris is still there. Uh, we do have DeCorey and Clark, but, of course, there's still these rumblings about his stuff. I don't think anything's going to really come of his DUI or anything like that that he got there in the offseason. But off the off chance that we don't have Clark for like a game or two, we're looking for a guy that's going to stand out. And so they recruited three of these guys, uh, Nate. Jamel being the highest level or the highest one, the one that was closest to being the four-star as well. So Jamel, he's 6'3", 190 pounds, right out of Dallas, Texas. So, you know, not too far. Uh, close to the – and then we'll talk about his uh, recruitments and stuff like that because I know you like to see the offer sheet and stuff like that. But he went to Dallas Lincoln High School. He's a three-sport athlete. He played football, soccer, and basketball. 
Um, and then talking to Caleb Hampton last week, as far as on the pod and stuff like that, he made a good point about different sports kind of helping each other out, whether you're doing baseball, that's hand-eye coordination. When you're in football, you're moving your hips and stuff like that in particular. Soccer is a whole other level because now it's like foot coordination and placement and stuff like that. That's where I started to get intrigued by Mr. Jamel Hardy. And then he has some pretty decent offers. So SMU, of course, offered him because it's right there in their backyard of Dallas. He did commit to UTSA. North Texas, so you're looking at a lot of Texas schools, Texas Tech, Texas State. Um, but then there was Indiana, which was a Power 5 offer there as well. Um, Utah State, Louisiana Tech, Memphis, and then Washington State had also offered them as well. Um, so they said he was a star wide receiver for head coach Randall Johnson there at Dallas Lincoln High School. He was named 2022 District 6 4A Division II Offensive MVP. Um, he had 875 yards and 12 touchdowns and the first-team all-district honors as a junior. Uh, we did get to see his senior. I wasn't able to find anything on his senior stats. He's named second-team all-district as wide receiver as a sophomore. So that's what they wrote him up there as far as 24-7 sports when I got a chance to look. On three, had nothing on him other than just his recruiting and then what teams he went to. So knowing that we're just trying to find a guy, what what's your thoughts as far as UTSA as a whole, and do you think – a 6'3", you know, 190-pound receiver could be a guy that we could see become a new DeClorean Clark or Zachary Franklin now gone to Mississippi. Yeah. What's your thoughts on UTSA as a whole, and what do you think about this between him? And I don't know if you got a chance to see the Ardbird, the, uh, the other wide receiver currently that uh, people are yeah, taking. I think, it's, I think it's like Amador or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Amador, that's right. Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, um, nah, I love UTS, UTSA. Uh, I love the Roadrunner system, uh, obviously. I mean, they there's not a whole lot of – of programs out there that uh, can produce three fantasy relevant wide receivers in one season. I mean, geez, Iowa can't produce three in, in 10 decades, let yeah. alone one season. So, um, so yeah, I like it. Uh, they they've brought in a handful of wide receivers in this class. And it seems like at least, you know, from the dynasty startup I did, everybody's just kind of taking shots. You know, everybody, everybody wants a piece of that offense because it's a great system. Uh, but sure. nobody knows really who's going to be the guy. Um, he's the biggest of the of of the guys that are coming in there at UTSA. Uh, Amador, I want to say it's like right around like 5'10", 5'11", 170-ish. He's a little bit small. Um, and then uh, they, had, they had another guy. Willie McCoy's the Juco guy. Um, right. And then uh, they had another guy, Devin... Devin McEwen, I don't know anything about that guy, but uh, <laughs> I think it's pretty much between uh, Hardy, Amador, and McCoy that's going to get the the run uh, first here. So, yeah, I, I love it. Love taking a shot on UTSA, especially when we got a bigger guy. Um, if he's got, uh, you know, a skill set that can um, find find his way on the field, carve out a, a niche role there with them, then I love it, man. Because I think that it's a system you want to invest in for sure, especially when it comes to wide receivers. Hell, all the positions at UTSA. They produce running backs. They produce QBs, too. So all of them. I just wish they'd have, like, a good, I don't know, tight end every once in a while. It'd be good if they could complete the cycle and give us, like, one good dollar <laughs> tight end. Uh, Oscar, uh, Oscar Cardenas or whatever is uh, yeah. solid this year. He's not going to set the world on fire, but he'll he's serviceable yeah. in a spot, I guess. Yeah, he'll, he'll get the job done, I guess, on a spot start if you need him to. But, yeah. yeah, what I'm getting at is, man, like, he's just the most athletic. He's the higher star. Like, he's got, you know, the most athleticism and the tallest one coming in. I feel like we should be taking a shot at him regardless if you're doing that. So I'm saying he's a waiver wire pickup, man. I don't think you need to draft him unless all of a sudden, like, you know, Amador is not available and you just want to take a shot at Hardy in like a 16th round or something like that. That's okay, too. 
I'm saying waiver wires, if he's available, go pick him up. That's one of the guys that I'll probably be looking at here pretty soon. If I can find some dead weight that I need to get rid of. Luckily, we have plenty of spots there. So I can see if I can kind of grab him and see what happens in camp. Uh, because I don't believe he was there in the spring. So the summer is where we're going to really see if Hardy will beat out uh, Amador and the other guys that are there if Clark or if DeCorian Clark doesn't come back. But we are hoping that Clark comes back and becomes the dominant wide receiver one. But we still need a wide receiver two and a three. And who's to say that Hardy and Amador might become those options? So, well, Cephas, uh, Cephas is still there. Oh, that's right. We do have Cephas. Never mind. But, but Cephas, Cephas and Clark are both gone next year. So, I mean, we're this is why everybody's right. going to take their shots on UTSA because somebody's got to fill that role. Yep, and then, I don't know, uh, somehow Frank Harris will probably find like an eighth or ninth year or whatever, and he'll just be back. And it'll be glorious once again for UTSA and the Roadrunners. Uh, but definitely go look at Jamel Hardy, take a shot, take a waiver, sit on see what happens. If nothing occurs and you don't see him for like, you know, half a season or whatever, drop him. And then probably we'll have another recruit that we can talk about next year at UTSA as well, is what we're saying. But definitely go give him a look. All right, Nate, I want to thank you for coming on, bro, and uh, having a good chat and talking about Big 12. Kind of uh, sad that uh, we'll, we'll be saying goodbye to the Big 12, at least for your aspect. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was a good time and good talking. Um, any parting words, anything you want to let the, the viewers know about what you got going on, what, uh, what's in the horizon? You got any good uh, articles you've been stewing over or thinking about that you might be doing soon? No, I'll just say I released the uh, QB handcuff article you can find on Campus Canton. Release that this week, so go check it out. Yep, go check it out. Like I said, you can find all our articles, campuscanton.com, so give that a look. Uh, we appreciate you guys coming on, and we'll see you in the next episode. Peace.